You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. So the last couple of weeks, um, Carol and I have been working with uh, a lawyer, and we've been working on something called a living trust. And uh, we also have already written something called a living will. And a living will is something that you write, that you tell what your, your, um, your family what you would like to happen to you in case you are not able to take care of yourself. And it's also called an advanced health care directive. So that if I get sick or I get hurt in an accident, um, my relatives know what to do in case I'm about to die and I can't make that decision for myself. It's a very important thing to do, and it's a very loving thing to do. Uh, The second thing that, as I said, we're working on is something called a living trust. And a living trust is something that you write while you are still alive. Okay, you write it while you're still alive, and you write it about your assets. You write it about the, your possessions, and it goes sort of with your regular will, but it also helps to transfer the trust or transfer what you own to a trustee who will take care of it when you die. Sometimes um, that's also one of your heirs, and so you write a living trust so that they will know the, how to receive what you want to pass on to them as from your life and from your assets and from the things that you own. It also is a very loving thing to do because it allows for the transfer of what you own to your family to be done without a lot more legal interactions. And so it's a very good thing to do. And so my question is, um, to those of you who are adults, how many of you have written or already have done your living will and your living trust? Good, good. Okay. Well, if you haven't yet, you know, that's what you ought to do, all right, because it's very loving. Now, youth, um, what you need to do is you need to go home and ask your mom and dad, okay, have you written a living will and a living trust? And if they haven't, you would just say, well, don't you love me? (laughs) Because you just say, well, it's a very loving thing to do, all right? So you're not just asking for them to die, um, and you're not just asking for their stuff, okay? You're just giving them an opportunity to love you. Um, So that's a very good thing. So living wills and living trusts are a very good thing. But there is something else that's even more important than a living will and a living trust, and that's what I would call living legacy. A living legacy is the sum of our lives, It goes well beyond our material possessions, but it's more about who we are as a person, not just what we did. It's about who we are and the lives that we've touched and how we hope and we pray that our life has made a difference in their life, that our legacy will continue. In this world, people want to become a legend or a superhero, but that's not what God wants. He wants us, even the ones who are never known by the rest of the world, to leave a legacy that continues to change lives and bless them. It leaves the essence of our story, of our life, with those that we love. It passes on our values. It gives others hope. It talks about our love. 
It can give advice, and it can even give blessings. A living legacy is what you pass on when you pass away. We don't want what we've done to pass away with us when we go into the grave. We want what we've done to continue to be passed on to the next generation. But this is not something that just happens. This is not something that will happen by accident. But rather, it takes intentionality and it takes inspiration. In other words, inspiration. It needs the Spirit in it. It's something that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us and with us and for us. And it's something that the Holy Spirit will do when we give our lives over to Him and say, make my life a legacy for your kingdom. Make my life a legacy to be a blessing to other people. The Apostle Paul certainly did this. The Apostle Paul wrote down his living legacy. He wrote what we have is 27 books of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 of them. Almost half of the letters in the New Testament were written by Paul. There's the, Ro- the book of Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonians. And then he wrote four books to people, to three people, 1 and 2 Timothy, to Titus, and to Philemon. He left a legacy for us. And so today, as we're going through the story, if you have read chapter 30 of the story this past week, then you read what Paul was concerned about with his life. The legacy that he wanted to leave for you and for me. Now the question is, do I want to leave a legacy? That's the question that we have to begin with. Because if we want to, then we can. And God wants us to know that he will help us. But if we want to, then of course there's certain things, as I said, it must be intentional. There are things we have to do. And so the first thing we have to do is decide that if we want to do it. So if you said, yes, I do want to leave a legacy, then we must begin by living with the end in mind. Begin by living with the end in mind. Now, in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says these words. Let's read them together, okay? I consider my life worth nothing to me, If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now this is Paul's statement of what he wants his legacy to be. He doesn't consider his human life to be the most important part of what he's doing, but rather using that life for what is eternal. He wants to continue to bring a testimony of Jesus into the world. He wants to make a difference in this world for Jesus. He wants us to know that when we do at the end of our lives is what we're going to pass on to other people. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, Paul also says this, Do you not know? that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Forever. See, so again, Paul is saying that our life, that your life, that my life is like a race. And this is a race that's going to go by very, very quickly. 
It's a race that's going to go faster and faster the older we get. And it's a race that even if we're younger, we need to begin right now to decide that what I want to do is I want to strive for that. Read with me Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. God, in Christ Jesus, sorry. <laughs> I looked down too soon. That God has called us heavenward. This is where God is leading us. He wants us to live with the end in mind. The end for us is heaven. The end for us is heaven because in heaven there's no more time. It's the continuation of all eternity of where you and I will be. We will be together 10,000 years from now. We'll be together 1 million years from now. Let me ask you, how long do you think is the average lifespan of a person in the United States? 80? That's about right. Okay, so according to last year, the CDC said it was 78.6 is the average lifespan of an American in the United States. Uh, you know what state had the highest um, lifespan expectancy? Not, oh, California was second. Okay, California was second at about 80 years. So if you're living in California, you get about 1.4 more years to live than if you live in the rest of the world. But in the United States. But United States, guess which state had the highest? Anybody say Hawaii? Hawaii. 81. 81 years. So if you want to live longer, get an extra year, move to Hawaii. Okay. But, um, but you know, we call Hawaii paradise, right? Paradise. Um, but, you know, in 81 years even is so short. I mean, we want to think about the end. I mean, what would it be like if a parent thought, you know, in, we have some friends in Hong Kong, and they have little children, and we were visiting them, and they said, our little children are studying to take a test, an entrance exam to get into kindergarten. <laughs> okay, you think it's hard here, all right? They had to give their children um, tutoring to prepare for an entrance exam to kindergarten. So let's say, like, these parents are very loving, very loving. And they say, okay, all we want to do is get our kid to kindergarten. And they get in. And they go, great, my job's done. And they say, well, no, of course your job's not done. All right? They go, well, okay, I'll think a little longer. Well, how about 12 years later? They're going to be getting ready to go to college. Okay, I'm going to work really hard and help my children. I'm going to think of their future. I'm going to prepare them to get into college. And so you spend all this money on the SAT. They get a good score. They get into their college. And parents go, okay, I'm done. I don't, I don't need to do anything else anymore. You go, well, no, that's not right. We've got to give our children a greater goal. And so you say, well, you know, you're not just going to go to college. You're going to go to grad school. So, so add another eight to nine more years on that once you head into college. You go, well, then you're done, right? You're done with life. No, actually, now you're just beginning, right? Because you're going, oh, okay, I got to get married now or have a family, get a job. Okay, so you get married, you get a job, and let's say you, you work for another 35, 40 years, and then you retire. You say, well, you know, gee, that's, that's still, not, still not enough. So I'm going to just enjoy retirement. And so you say, well, I'm then 65, 60, even 55, I'm going to retire. I have 25 more years of life. What am I going to do? 
Say, okay, I'm going to prepare by going and doing all the things that I've always wanted to do. And then you die. Now let me ask you, did you really prepare the right kind of life by living that way? Or did we stop thinking far enough ahead? What we really need to be thinking about is not just that we have 80 years, which we might. That's only the average. We should be thinking about 80,000 years from now. Or even 100 years from now. I doubt any of us will be alive 100 years from now, which will go by really fast. It's eternity that God wants us to prepare for. And so if you said, yes, I want to make a difference in life, then you have to make also the decision to say, you know what? I want to live with the end in mind. I want to live heavenward in Christ Jesus. So then what do I need to do? So Paul helps us. He tells us what we need to do is, first of all, we need to know Jesus better than anyone else who ever lived. To know Jesus better than anyone else who ever lived. Is that possible? When I was being discipled, Uh, My discipler said something to me, which just totally knocked me over. He said, you know, Curtis, God wants you to be the most holy person who ever lived. I'm like, well, I've already ruined that, you know, so it's no use trying. He goes, no, from this point on. God wants you to know Jesus more and more in your life. Maybe you haven't been, but from this point on, God says, will you? Will you make it your determination to know more about me and to seek me more than anything else? To seek Jesus more? Now, Paul wanted people to know good things. And we talk a lot about them. We talk about grace and we talk about love. And in the New Testament, in Paul's letter, he talks about grace 88 times. And he talks about love 97 times. But when he talks about Jesus, which means Jehovah saves, he mentions Jesus 221 times. And when he talks about Christ, which means Messiah or anointed one, he mentions it 381 times. The difference is huge. That there are many good things in the Bible to learn, but the greatest thing in the Bible to learn is to know more about Jesus. And we do this by deciding that I'm going to seek him above all else. I'm going to seek Jesus above all else. Now, whether or not you mean it, okay, makes a big difference. Now, we can just say it by seeking him above all else. I will make it my determination to seek him above all else. Now, I could ask you to say it out loud with me as I do sometimes, but I'm not going to. Because it would be easy to say it out loud. But I want to ask your heart a question. God wants to ask your soul a question. And God says, I gave you your life. I gave you your soul. And I gave you my son. And he loves you more than anyone else could ever love you. He'll do everything for you that is good as I will. And I will bless you beyond measure as long as you continue to follow after me. But what I ask you, soul, and what I ask you, heart, 
is will you seek my son above all else? Let that sink in for just a moment. And try to answer God as he asks you and me that question. Will I seek Jesus above all else? In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said this is what I want you to know. This is what I want you to know. So you want to know Jesus? Well, I want you to know Jesus too. And Paul says, I myself want to know Jesus. In fact, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. That God wants us to look at the rest of life as inconsequential compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Again, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God wants us all, like Paul, to know Jesus. And where does he want us to know Jesus? He wants us to know Jesus at the cross. A couple of weeks ago, um, I went to a camp. It's just sort of above where Magic Mountain is, up at Lake Hughes, and the camp is called the Oaks Christian Camp. And they have a, a cross path. They call, it's just a hiking path. And so I went on the cross path. It's really hard to see the cross, so I circled there in red. And so you can sort of see the path there on the right. And so you can go up there, and you can spend time alone. They have some benches up there. And you can go up there, and you can spend time to meditate and to pray and to seek God. And one of the things that I found out when I go up there, it it's actually was quite a surprise. Um, I found out that when I finally got to the top, and that's the top, I have cell service up there. And so my phone buzzed when I got up there. And I go, oh, cool, now I have cell service. Because when I'm down at the camp, down in the valley, and there's no cell service. But once I got to the top, I got, oh, well, you know, I can go up here and call Carol now. Or I can go here and get my email. Okay, but down camp, you know, I didn't have that. But you know what? It's when we also go up to the cross that we have connection with God. See, it's there where we have connection with the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if you want to hear from Jesus, go to the cross. Go to the cross. And it is there that you will know Jesus more and more. This is what I want, says Paul. I want you to know Jesus more and more. If you can see that, would you read it with me? That's Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Because this is what Paul prays. Let's say it together. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So when you come to know Jesus and you go to the cross, what we are going to learn is the love of God. What we're going to learn is the height and the depth and the width and the length of Jesus' love for us. This is a good thing. 
This is what will prepare us for eternity. This is what will give us strength in this world, that God will help us to know him more and more. And so Jesus has given to us a gift, and Jesus used the Apostle Paul to give us this gift. And the gift is God's word. And so if I want to know Jesus better than anyone or anything else, I need to read the whole word of God. I need to read what God gives to me, Old Testament and New Testament. I want to know what God's word says. When Paul was preaching, and again, remember, keep in mind, Paul had a goal. What was that goal? To testify about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul was preaching, he always led people towards Jesus. When Paul was arrested, he tried to lead those who arrested him towards Jesus. This is a time when Paul had been arrested, and he is going to be tried, and now he has an opportunity to stand before the king and give his defense. And so he is talking to King Agrippa. And what he is, is he is quoting what he believes to be the purpose of Jesus Christ in this world. And so Paul says, I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. So notice Paul is talking about the Bible. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about how the Old Testament talks about Jesus Christ. And he says then that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul was saying, as you know the scriptures, even the Old Testament scriptures, they point to Jesus Jesus himself said this. You diligently study the scriptures. It's a good thing. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. That too is a good thing. Then Jesus says, these are the scriptures that testify about me. Now Jesus is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. They testify about him. But God's word today to us is the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so as we read and we learn and we know God's word, we know Jesus better, we are breathing in the word of God. The Bible is like breathing and it's like air. See, there's air outside of us, right? But that's not good enough. We need air inside of us, right? And the Bible is like that. The Bible is outside of us, and nobody can make you read it. I can't make you read it. Only you can decide to. And to bring the Word of God inside of you. This is a choice that we make to know Jesus, to know His love, and to know the Word of God which teaches us about Him. So now what do I do? Now that I've learned it, or as I'm learning it, what do I do if I want to leave a living legacy? I need to do as Paul did. I need to teach by words, which we see he's done, but also by example. In the last letter that Paul wrote before he was killed was 2 Timothy. And in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this to Timothy. You 
however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Paul is saying, Timothy, you heard my teaching. You heard what I said. But you also saw how I lived. And so it is also to the same true for you and to me. That we teach by words, but that's not enough. We also must teach by example. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I want you to do those things. I want you to take my teaching, and I want you to teach good doctrine to the world. It is necessary, it is mandatory that you teach the whole truth of God to the world. But at the same time, it's also necessary that you show love and endurance and patience even in the midst of persecutions and suffering, just as you saw I did. And so we are going to live and teach by our words and by our example. We are going to pay it forward. Paul says to Timothy, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. God wants us to all be teachers. God wants all of us to pass on what we learn. This is why disciple making is critical to the life of a Christian. That every one of us is called to be a disciple, which means a, a learner of Jesus, but a learner that learns in intimacy, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge. And then we take what we learn, it overflows out of our life, and then we pass it on. We pass it on. God wants you and wants me to continue to grow in our relationship by giving to others. We've started many disciple-making groups in our church. And I started one last year with, with three men. Okay, so there was the four of us that we met. We, did, we met for one year. And we finished this one year um, earlier just last month. And we decided that it's time for us now to start new groups. And so each of us is committed to finding two or three other men to be in our disciple-making group. That means we've multiplied four times three, so it could be up to 12 disciples in this church that are men. Well, the women have done the same thing. They have two disciple-making groups right now, about eight, I believe, or more, that are involved. In a year's time, they will multiply that too by two or three. And that will continue to go on in the life of our church as people are being discipled and being made to more know about the likeness of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, do you want to be a disciple? And do you want to be a discipler? Do you want to be a disciple maker? If you do, let me know. If you're not in one of those groups, let me know. Because I'm thinking of having a disciple-making class um, that would just sort of to give you an introduction about that during our Sunday school time. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and we're going to work something out in that way. But God wants all of us to pay it forward. And when we do, is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. Paul says we have to fight to the finish. 
In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It was a fight to finish to the death. In 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God calls us to fight to the finish. There's a man in Japan who was part of the Japanese invasion of the Philippines back in 1944, just a year before the Japanese surrendered to the United States and, and gave up and surrendered um, and, and said that uh, the United States now would, would, would win. Okay? But in 1944, this man, um, Hiru Onada, okay, he was sent on this little island off of the islands of the Philippines, and he didn't know the war had ended. So in 1944, he was taken there. A year later, actually less than a year, the war ended. But he didn't know. And so he kept on fighting. He kept on fighting for 29 more years. For 29 more years. And so in 1974, this is a picture of him giving up his sword as a sign that he had surrendered to the president of the Philippines. That was Ferdinand Marcos back in 74. But for 29 years, 29 years he fought because he didn't know the war had ended. The United States had dropped leaflets in Japanese to tell all the soldiers that the war had ended. They read it and they go, oh, this is just propaganda. This is not true. He didn't believe it. And so he continued to fight no matter what anybody might say to him. He wouldn't stop fighting. And then people knew who he was because some that were in his group laughed and they said, you know, Onada's still fighting there. And so they went and they tried to find him. One man found him. And he said, Onada, you know, Onada-san, the, the war is over. The war is over. And you have to go back home now and stop fighting. And Onada said, I will not stop fighting unless a superior officer tells me that I must put my sword down. And so that man went back to Japan and said, no, he won't stop fighting unless a superior officer tells him to. And so the government of Japan said, okay. So they went out and they found Onada's commanding officer. And they sent him to that little island and he found Onada, and he told Onada, lay down your arms, I command you, for the war is over. And then he finally laid down his arms, as we see there, because his commanding officer told him to. Paul says, I want you, Timothy, and I want everyone here who says I want to make a difference in this life for all of eternity. I want to live and I want to leave a living legacy. I want to do it as I'm going through life. I don't want to just try to wait to the end of life and then try to make things right with God. I want to start today. And I want to know Jesus more than anything else. And I want to lead people to Jesus more than anything else. And I want to be a disciple more than anything else. And then Paul says to Timothy and to you and to me, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. What are civilian affairs? They are the things of this world. They are the things that die when we die. But what does God want us to do? He wants us to get involved in kingdom affairs. 
and the things of God's heaven and the things that go on forever. And the reason that we continue to do that even in hard times is because, as Paul says to Timothy, of this good soldier, it is because he and she wants to please his and her commanding officer. It is because he wants to please his commanding officer. Who is our commanding officer? Jesus. It's always the right answer, right? Jesus. But he is. He is our commanding officer. And he calls us into duty to lay down our life for him. And we're still in a war. And we are never going to see this war end until Jesus returns or until we die. This war will always be going on throughout our lives. And so therefore we must wait for our commanding officer to return until Jesus returns and the final war will be fought and won. But in the meantime, you and I must wait for our commanding officer because he's not going to tell us to lay down arms. He's going to tell us to be a good soldier. He's going to tell us to continue to fight. He's going to tell us to continue to live by word and example. He's going to continue to remind us to know Jesus above all things. He's going to call us to live a life that is a legacy. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the promises of it. And Heavenly Father, we pray that we would want, like Paul, to live a life now that is part of our legacy, that will leave a blessing in this world, that will go on to change lives for your glory. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to seek you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.